Uh, welcome. We are really grateful that you are here. Uh, the last couple of weeks in chapel, we've been um, moving through a number of passages where Jesus has encountered suffering people. Um, he, we looked at an invitation uh, uh, to come to him for those who are weary and burdened. And we talked about all of us being weary uh, and burdened. We looked last week at a bleeding woman um, who was both physically sick um, who was uh, uh, ritually unclean, which made her an outcast and essentially alone, who had been financially ruined. And we saw Jesus, in compassion, um, offer peace and rest. Um, today we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews, again, uh, focusing on suffering people. Um, and it's, it's not that uh, I'm trying to hit just sufferers here. But when you look at the scriptures, um, it's clear that God's heart of compassion is for those who are hurting and those who are suffering. When Jesus revealed himself in his hometown of Nazareth, he read from the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he read. He read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And through Jesus' earthly ministry, you can see him drawn to those who are suffering and those who are hurting. And we know the reality is that um, sitting here today, um, many of you are hurting and many of you are suffering. And if you're not, you probably have suffered. And if you haven't and you're currently not, you will suffer because that is part of being human in a fallen world. Um, the book of Hebrews is uh, addressed to a group of Jewish Christians who are suffering. But as a result of their suffering, some of them are falling away from the faith, um, turning away from Jesus. And you might ask, okay, how, how does that happen? Like, how does that actually play out? And I was trying to think that through. What is it about suffering that could lead a person to turn away from Jesus instead of turning to um, Jesus? And I was thinking of, like... There, we sometimes have a temptation to focus on that which is unanswerable and miss that which is given to us. Um, the only illustration I can come up with, and forgive me for the poor quality of this, but is I was thinking of like my daughter in her bedroom um, upstairs being really hungry, right? And she's super hungry, so she starts saying, God, how could you make me hungry? How could you make me be a type of person who is hungry? Why isn't the world set up so that I'm always satiated and always feel like I've just eaten Chick-fil-A? Um, how does this hunger fit into your plan? Uh, and instead of walking downstairs and saying to me in the kitchen, hey, Dad, can you make me a grilled cheese sandwich? I'd say, I can make you a grilled cheese sandwich. I'll make you a delightful grilled cheese sandwich. Um, or perhaps it's simply the case that the suffering is so intense and so acute um, that we are tempted to believe that God does not care or perhaps even that God isn't real. Now, whatever the case, um, Scripture and this passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews 4 um, addresses that and says there is hope and there is deep hope because the compassion that we saw expressed in the ministry of Jesus' earthly ministry continues today in an even more powerful way. That's hard to believe, but it's true. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you that you are a loving, merciful God. And thank you that you do not leave us to our own uh, 
set of tools uh, to our own wisdom. I pray, Father, that you will speak to us by the power of your spirit this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I just kind of want one. <laughs> right? Come on, Dolan. Come on. Right. Sorry, I feel like I should have smashed it on my head or something. <laughs> now I'm going to be the one suffering. Um, I haven't had a Coca-Cola in like 12 years. I can feel, I can feel my teeth rotting in my mouth. <laughs> when you're dealing with Christians who are suffering, um, you have to figure out what you're going to do when you suffer. And the Hebrew Christians um, were suffering, didn't know how to respond, and some were turning away from Jesus. So the writer of the Hebrews says this, he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to our confession. Let us hold firmly to our faith because of this. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, and that priest is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about Israel's history. Um, every year in, his, in Israel, there was a Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was where the high priest alone would cleanse himself. He would take off his golden garments and put on white linen garments. And he would go into the most holy place. And when he would go into the most holy place, there he would see the mercy seat. You would see the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim with raised up wings. Um, and God himself, the very, very presence of God, the Shekinah glory, would come and would sit on that mercy seat. And the high priest would come in and he would bring offerings for the people. And on the Day of Atonement, there was one offering. Well, actually, there were several offerings, but the one that was for the people. There was one offering in two goats. One of the goats would be slaughtered and he would take the blood and carry it into the most holy place. And to get into the most holy place, he would pass behind an actual huge curtain that separated the most holy place from outside. So he'd pass through this curtain into the very presence of God, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, literally the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, so that as God looked down on the Ten Commandments, he would see the blood, and it would be an atonement for the sins of the people. God would look away from the sins of the people. And then there was another goat, and this goat was the scapegoat. And the high priest would take his hands and he'd lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat. And he would confess the sins of the people, people of Israel, the ways that they had broken the law. And then that goat would be taken out and cast out into the wilderness. A picture of the sins of the people literally being removed from Israel. It had to be done every single year. And it was a picture of cleansing from sin. It maintained right relationship with God in Israel. But scripture says in Hebrews 10 that the law has only a shadow of the good things to come. It pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice, which brings us back to our passage. Jesus, the son of God, is the great high priest 
who passed not through a curtain into the presence of God for a few moments, but who instead went through the very heavens themselves and is seated at the right hand of God at the throne of majesty in heaven. Jesus, seated at God's right hand, not just as the great high priest, but also as the perfect sacrifice. Not two goats, one for blood and one as the scapegoat, but one perfect lamb who died once on a cross, shedding his blood that we might be declared righteous when we are in him and robed in his righteousness. Romans 8 talks about it. He is the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice. He's seated at the right hand of God and is interceding for us, praying for us. And scripture says, since Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, since he is the perfect sacrifice, since he is the perfect high priest, hold tight to him and to your confession of the faith. Now we pause there because it may sound a little bit esoteric, right? Okay, we understand theologically that Jesus ascended into heaven, through the heavens, and is seated at the right hand of God, where he prays for us and intercedes. Okay, we've got that. But it almost can sound a little bit detached from our actual daily lives and suffering. But verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. And this is one of the most... Um, encouraging realities of the Christian faith, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Old Testament high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to actually bring the blood of a bull to cleanse himself and his family when he went in. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, didn't have to bring a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. And scripture says, we do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now hear that. Jesus was sinless. He's seated at the right hand of God. And we, we, we can almost feel like, how is it possible that he could actually see us and actually know us? But scripture says, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize. And I love that it's worded like that. Because the tendency, I think, would be to say, there's no way that Jesus can actually relate to me. He's perfect and without sin. There's no way he can actually relate to me. But scripture says we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. The truth is he is not unable to feel the effects of our weakness along with us, which is what it means to sympathize, to be able to feel what we are feeling along with us. Scripture says that in fact, our high priest has been tempted in all things just as we are. Jesus knows exactly what it is to be human, fully God, fully man. He knows what it is to bear the weight of relationships, responsibilities. He knows joy and sadness, all of the things that we face in a fallen world. It's true that when we rejoice, when we hurt, when we suffer or fear, he has solidarity with us because he has lived life and has endured trial and suffering. So anything that you experience is not unique to you because he has lived it. Scripture says he knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, angry, hurt, betrayed, abandoned, falsely accused, lied to, hated, beaten, and killed. He's been tempted in all things just as we are. Now we wanna be really clear here. 
Jesus hasn't experienced every single thing that we experience, right? But he does know the temptations that arise from being human. And this is more important, not simply that he can sympathize, but that he knows the ensuing temptations from the things that we experience. So if you take being betrayed, right? If you've ever been betrayed by a friend, you may be tempted to despair. You may be tempted to revenge. You may be tempted to withdraw and pull inside. And Jesus understands and knows those temptations. It is one thing to experience what we experience, but to actually know the temptations that flow out of that, Jesus knows that. But then the kicker, scripture says he was without sin. And you might ask, now wait, can you actually really truly be tempted without sinning? Yes, absolutely. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in the ways that we are tempted, yet was without sin. There are often times where we are tempted to sin, but don't sin, right? The reason he can so perfectly sympathize with us is his sinlessness. Now, it may seem counterintuitive. He hasn't sinned. How can he know my true struggle and the true temptations that I face? There was a 19th century commentator who wrote about this. And, and listen to this. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend upon the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. Now, in other words, here's what that means. The fact that Jesus has faced every temptation that we have and remained sinless means that he knows exactly how hard it actually is to stand under every single temptation and yet remain sinless. He's the only person that can actually understand the depth of temptation. He's the only person who can actually understand and sympathize with every single person in the world. Because he was sinless, he understands what it is to stand till the very, very end of temptation and remain holy, which means he knows how to actually pray for us. If he knows us and knows what we go through, he knows how to bring our struggles before the Father. So then verse 16 brings it full circle, and this is the action, really the so what in our suffering. Scripture says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, the throne of God in the Old Testament was a holy, fearful, requiring caution place a place of sacrifice and blood and cleansing and holiness and beauty, we are invited to approach the same holy throne, but it's a throne now marked by grace. I almost picture it like this. It's still the holy throne of our holy God, where the holy, perfect son of God is seated at the right hand, but we're now invited to come like children. You can imagine, or please imagine a king a, a, a kingly king who's seated on his throne. And when people come in, they bow before him. It's almost like we're the children in that kingdom. And when we come in the door, he says, come, come on, run to me, come with confidence. 
approach the throne of grace with confidence. We approach the throne of grace in our darkest places confidently, but we're confident because of Jesus, knowing that Jesus presents our request to the Father, knowing that he intercedes and prays for us on our behalf. Hebrews 7 says that he's able to save to the uttermost, to the very end, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, think about how remarkable that is. Think about the fact that Jesus knows exactly how to pray for you, how to bring your prayers to the Father with perfect understanding of what you need in whatever circumstance you're experiencing. He also does it as savior of children of the one who's seated on the, fr- on the throne. But there's a sense where if it ended right here, this would still be a little bit okay. That's great. Um, How does this actually help me practically when I hurt, when I suffer, when I'm in trial, and when I struggle? See, when someone suffers, the last thing that you want to hear is something trite, right? I'm sure you've heard people do it. You may have done it yourself. But when you find someone, when you encounter someone who's truly suffering or when you're suffering, you don't want to hear a platitude. And when you hear these words, it may sound like a platitude. You should pray about it. But praying about it is the deepest, most powerful gift that we are given when we encounter struggle. And here's why. The truth is coming before the throne of grace with our prayers is such a great gift because of what happens at that throne of grace. Now hear this. Scripture says, we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help. Receive mercy is something that's given to us. It's the way that the Father looks at us. He looks at us with pity and compassion. The love of a father. When we come to the throne of grace, that's how the Father sees us. He sees us with mercy. He sees us with eyes of pity. A father looking to child. A merciful heart. That's how he sees us, but then here's what happens. We receive mercy as he looks upon us with compassion. And then we find grace. And the literal translation there is, we find grace for well-timed help. And finding grace is intentional. That word find there literally means to discover grace after a time of searching. There's, there's a point here where this is, is not some kind of a magic formula, if you will, that we are to come to the Father when we bring our hearts before him. Jesus takes our prayers in our suffering, knows exactly what we need to be able to stand firm exactly what we need and he knows exactly how to pray for us. He prays to the Father. He takes our prayer to the Father and then we find grace. We discover grace. We discover unmerited favor. We discover God's blessing that we could never ever deserve or earn. We find it, especially after searching for it, exactly what we need but it's perfectly timed grace. It is not, again, you pray and automatically here it comes. The Father not only knows exactly what we need, he knows exactly when we need it. 
when we suffer and we bring our hearts before the Father, the Holy Spirit in us literally rots our prayers for us. The Son takes those prayers to the Father, knows exactly what to pray for us because he's experienced the temptations that we are in. He knows when we are tempted to despair. He knows when we're tempted to isolate. He knows when we're tempted to hurt. He knows our temptations. He knows exactly what we need that we might stand. And he brings them before the Father. And then the Father in his perfect time helps us find grace. Do you hear the practical realities based in that? It means that when you suffer, when you hurt, when there is nothing that you can do to fix the situation that you are in, when you are on the verge of despair and you think there may be no hope, God says, come to me. He says, lay your heart before me. Bring me your suffering. Jesus says, I know it. I can sympathize with you. I know the temptations you're going to experience and feel, even the temptation to turn away from the Father. I know what you need. I'll take your prayers and I'll bring them before the Father. And the Father in his perfect time looks on us with mercy and then extends grace. The best way to to illustrate this is not with an illustration, but is with truth. Um, One of my dear friends, I saw him in California a couple of weeks ago. And five years ago, he lost his wife and daughter. Um, she, was, uh, she was pregnant, um, a young woman, she was 32. Uh, she was pregnant, um, she was having some, some heart pains. Um, they drove to the hospital together and as they pulled up to the ER, she went <gasps> and fell over dead on my friend Tim's arms. And I tell you that not to be dramatic, but I tell you that because um, it's the most uh, intense um, and painful suffering that I've been close to for an extended period of time. And I've watched Tim over the last five years and how he's dealt with this, and I have watched the Father be faithful to him. When it happened, he was completely at the end of himself. He had nothing. He didn't know what to do. He could barely think. He couldn't eat. All he could do, one psalm, that's all he could do read one psalm and just say, Lord. And over time, he continued to pray and he continued to seek the Father and lay out his pain before the Father. And people loved him and cared for him, but he had lost his wife and he had lost his daughter and he was in suffering, immeasurable and not something I can't fully understand. And I asked him five years in, when I just saw him a couple weeks ago, I said, how are you? He said, well, I still have questions, but they, they shift in their nature and content. But here's what I've experienced. God has been faithful to me every step of the way. And he has provided exactly what I have needed, exactly when I needed it, so that I would not lose hope. I'm like, oh. Our Father, it's not to, to lessen his suffering. It's that Jesus looks on that suffering and goes, I can sympathize and feel that with you. I've been tempted to go the places your mind and heart want to go or are tempted to go. Oh, Tim, let me bring your prayers to the Father for you. And then the Father looks on him with compassion and mercy. And 
and he extends grace to him exactly when he needs it in the Father's perfect timing. Friends, this is why we can suffer as believers in Jesus Christ. It's why we never, ever have to despair. It's why we never, ever have to be hopeless. I know that some of you are hurting right now. Come to the Father through the power of the Spirit. Bring your prayers and know what's happening in the heavenly realms. Know that Jesus Christ, the risen and perfect Son of God, is taking your prayers and is praying for exactly what you need and bringing that to the Father. And that the Father will, because he always is, always has been, faithful and trustworthy. He will provide for you exactly what you need. You will find grace, and you will find it exactly when you need it. That is not a platitude. That is not a dogma. That is not a weak thing that weak people say. That is the power of the living God who loves his children graciously and passionately and jealously. The character of our God. That's how we stand. It's how we live. It's how we survive. God is good and God is faithful. When he offered peace to the woman who had suffered, when he calls us, when you're heavy and weary burdened, I'll give you rest. I want to close with this from Romans 8 because it fits into all of this. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Sometimes we forget that that peace is right before this next peace that we hear so often. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, our gracious King, our Father, um, thank you, Lord, for being a merciful and grace, gracious and compassionate God. Lord, you know our um, weakness, our temptation, and our suffering so much more acutely than we do. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus not only sympathizes with us, but knows the very temptations of our soul, that he might bring them before you when we're in them. Lord, as we suffer, as we look to the reality that we will suffer in the future, please, Lord, protect our hearts from despair. Protect our hearts from turning away from you and devolving into self. And help us, Lord, to bring our suffering before you with all of the raw, overwhelming pain that that entails. Let us bring it to you in hope, in trust, in belief, and in faith, because we know that you, Lord, are faithful. Please, Father, be with us. Minister to those of us who are hurting. Help us to care for and love well of those who are suffering. And let us be mindful of the truth of your gospel. We pray in the holy name of our Savior Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit.